0: It's good to be back with you guys. It's been a few years. Um, I'm I'm really happy to be back. Some of you guys know a couple years ago, two years ago actually, just July, my son was diagnosed with leukemia. And um, a lot of you guys have been here. And I just want to thank you guys as a church because you guys radically blessed us during those first, gosh, six months. I think between this church and uh, First Congregational Church of Redlands, you guys fed us for like three months. So uh, thank you for that. My son's going to be here next service. He wanted to, uh, they wanted to come up. They love this church. The kids were pretty much raised in this church. Uh, but again, we do love sanctuary. It's always dear to my heart. You know, uh, this morning what I want to talk about <clears throat> is, uh, you can open your Bibles if you have them, open up to Mark chapter 1. It's something that we've all heard a million times. Uh, it's the message of Jesus. It's the message of John the Baptist. And, and remember, I want you guys to think about something as, as we go into this. Um, we're going to talk about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. And I really want you guys to think about what does that mean to you? What does that mean in your personal life? What does that mean in your marriage? What does that mean in raising your children? What does that mean when you go to work? What does that mean when you're hanging out with your friends? Does the kingdom of God have any influence in your life outside of the Lord's Prayer, right? I mean, if I was raised Roman Catholic, so I said the Lord's Prayer every day, and I still say the Lord's Prayer. But remember what he says? Jesus says, Pray like this. His disciples come to him there in Luke chapter 11. They've watched Jesus pray. And they, they realize as they watch Jesus praying, they don't know how to pray. So they say to him there, Lord, teach us to pray the way John taught his disciples to pray. So he says, Pray like this Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. But notice what he says there, Thy kingdom come. Now, remember, he's teaching us how to pray. And he's saying, I want you to pray this. Pray that thy kingdom, I'm old school, uh, King James language still in this prayer, but your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. So we could understand his kingdom by his will. So when Jesus, when John comes on the scene, the Baptist, keep in mind, 400 years of silence in Israel. No prophet has spoken. And all of a sudden, this crazed, long haired long beard, he'd fit in really well now, you know, man, comes on the scene, he's wearing camel skin, leather belt, eats wild honey and locust. And he says what? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. We pick up the story in verse 14 in Mark chapter 1, and it says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel, the good news of God. Now keep this in mind. This is God's good news to us. Good news. I think we need good news today. I think we need good news in our society. I think we need good news in our families. I think we need good news in our personal life. But this is the good news from the very heart of God. This is it. He says in verse 15, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in this good news. What's the good news? The kingdom of God is at hand. The time is fulfilled. From the promise he gave to Eve in the garden, to the promise he told Abraham in Genesis, to the promise he told David in Samuel, it is now fulfilled. The promised one has come. And here's the thing, and this is what I really want you guys to get today. I believe we live our lives in two kingdoms. My kingdom, and then there's his. And what has to happen is, my life has to come under the kingdom, and that means the rule of God through his Holy Spirit, through his word being communicated to me. And my life needs to come under his lordship, that I might be fruitful. See, I think what's going on in the church today, we kind of we get pumped, we come to church, it's a it's a great place to be and it's just part of my life. I kind of come and I I I worship and I get touched by God, but then I go out and I'm just going to do my own thing again. I'm still searching for meaning. I'm still searching for happiness. I'm still searching for joy. And yet everything you need, I'm going to tell you right now, everything you need to be is within the will of God for your life. This is the good news. That you don't have to do it alone anymore. You don't have to live your life as an orphan trying to figure out what this whole thing is, living your life under a cloud of guilt, under shame, under regret, and that is your motivation for coming to church. No, I come to church, you know why? I love it. I one thing I've realized in the last 10 years of my life, I love the church. That means I love you guys. I just do. I hurt for the church. I pray for the church. I love the church. But here's the thing, you guys. I think today is the day that we need to realize that God is calling us to stop living our lives outside of His will and start submitting our lives to His will. I mean, seriously, how how is everything going for you? How's your marriage? How are you doing with your kids? Seriously. How's it going at work for you? Let me ask this, pro- this question. Uh, are the problems because you're trying to get your will over your wives or your, your wives over your husbands? Or because you're trying to manipulate your kids through guilt to be the, kid, the kids that you want them to be? Is that what's going on? Stop. Ask God, what is your will? God, what is your will? So we're going to get into this. We're going to understand the kingdom of God but let's pray and ask God to touch us through his Holy Spirit and to bring the truth to us that we might be free. But let's pray right now and ask God. Holy as we come before you this morning, Lord. I want to thank you for everyone here, Lord. Uh, it's good to be in this house tonight, or today. Lord, it's good to come and worship you. It's good to come and be with people that love you. But I pray that this morning would be Uh, everything you want it to be. I pray, Lord, we would leave here with a new hope and a new purpose, that we begin to lay hold of the gifts and the call and the grace and the mercy and the love you have for us, Lord. That if we've planted our lives anywhere else other than in your love, we would transplant them back into your love. Lord, let us hear the message of our Savior this morning. It hasn't changed. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. And I pray, Lord Jesus, we would hear that invitation. We would answer it. We would joyfully come in. And we'd recognize that we are not orphans. We are not trying to earn our way into your kingdom. It's a free gift. So Lord, may your Holy Spirit come. May he guide us into all truth. May he have his way here with us, Lord. For Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. So, you know, I want you guys to see something. Before John comes on the scene, the temple, the, 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 the Jewish nation was very exclusive. And inside that nation, if it was like a group of people, a tribe, inside their tribe, it got more exclusive. You know what I mean? That if you were not part of the in crowd, you're part of the out crowd. And then you get a little bit closer inside there again, and there's a lot of discrimination. There's a lot of people being marginalized by the self-righteousness of the scribe and the Pharisee and the Sadducee. So there's only a really small group of people that would say we are gods. We're God's men. We're God's women. But here comes John and Jesus. And I want you to see all the marginalized people, all the ones that have been pushed out to the borders of Israel are now hearing this message that the kingdom of God is at hand. Just repent and believe. And so all of a sudden, prostitutes, uh, people with leprosy, tax collectors, centurions are all running to hear this message and receive the message that Christ and John are preaching. They believe in this good news. They believe in it. They're no longer pushed out, they're invited in because the kingdom of God is inclusive, not exclusive. The kingdom of God's gates never close, the kingdom of God's gates are always open. And there's an invitation that continues to go out come into the kingdom, come back into a relationship with God, stop living your life on your own, stop being religious, and come into a relationship with God. I I think the scariest people to me in the world are those that have been raised in the church because they have a pattern of thinking and it never leaves them. And they're always earning, always living in shame, always living in guilt. And the sinner, like me, when I met Rob when I was 15, I was like, it better be all of grace because I got no chance if it ain't. Right? It better be all of grace because if it isn't, I'm going to hell. And I deserve it. And I was totally, totally aware of that. It was good news to me. So when Jesus comes on, look what he says again. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. So the choice we have this morning is the choice of our kingdom or his. And even if you're here this morning, the choice is my kingdom or his kingdom. And again, his kingdom is not a political one. It's not identified by a flag, a national flag. It's identified by the cross, by the cross of Jesus Christ. In Romans 14, 17, Paul says, for the kingdom of God is not eating or drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So what is Jesus' invitation? It's an invitation to come under the, the government of God. It's an invitation to allow God to act with you in your life. It's an invitation that brings us to the place where we can receive all that Christ died and rose to give us. I'm gonna show you how it worked in my life. My daughter, as some of you know my daughter, she's a female version of me. So there's this, I don't think I'll say the second service because she'll be here, but if you get it first service because you came, all right? She is the female version of me. So that means she's rebellious. She doesn't like authority. And she's going to tell you what she thinks all the time. So guess what happened in our relationship? Constant, constant. And we stonewall each other. And we would be uh, and ah at each other, right? Finally, I was praying. I was praying, God, Lord, help me with my daughter. I don't know what to do. Lord, send me Somebody. So, of course, she sends me my my wife, right? The last person I want to hear it from. And I was getting her coffee, and she says to me, hey, babe, I need to talk to you about something. And I'm like, as husbands, those are like hard words to hear, aren't they? Honey, I got to talk to you about something. It's like, can you email me, you know? Send me a text later. Can we do this another time? And I said, what? What do you want to talk to me about? And I'm, I'm getting defensive right away. She goes, I need to talk to you about your relationship with Mary. And I went, what? And she goes, the way you treat her is wrong. The way you talk to her is wrong. She can't even talk to you without you being defensive. She can't even talk to you without you being aggressive towards her. What's wrong with you? And I'm like, no, I don't want to hear it. You know, blah, blah, blah. And God, we got in a fight. I get in my car. I leave. And I said, Lord, please help me with my daughter. He's like, I did. That was your wife. That was me talking to your wife. And I called her and I said, what do you want me to do? She said, I want you to sit down and talk to her. So I did. I called her in my bedroom. I sat in my chair. I said, let me have it tell me what you think of me as a dad. And she went, oh, okay. Ch-ch-ch, you know, <laughs> boom, boom. And I'm like, I'm like death clawing my armchair because I promised her I will not say a word. I'll just listen to you. And she starts to cry and I'm getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And finally I said, please forgive me. Please forgive me. I was wrong. Let's start anew. And we have. We have. We actually spend time together. We don't want to kill each other. It's really a blessed thing. I love my daughter to death. But here's my prayer. Lord, your kingdom come into my relationship with my daughter. Because your kingdom is a kingdom of peace, joy, and love. And I have none of those things with my daughter right now. None of them. And I'm a pastor. And I have none of those things with my girl. And I love my girl to death. I was standing in front of a train for her in two seconds. No problem. I'll die for her but will I live for her? I'll die for her, but will I die to myself for her? Because that's what the kingdom of God does. You die to yourself. Your ambition, your want, your desire, and you submit it to the Lord. And so the kingdom of God is a hand. So it's not a kingdom of food or drink. It's a kingdom where what we lost in the garden is restored. And as we come back into this relationship with God and we begin to fulfill the purpose that God has for us now, and it's, a, it's, a, it's founded in grace He wants us to know his love, and his love is to penetrate to the most, the depths of our heart where we're transformed and we're changed by that love, not in theory, but in action, that we don't talk about God's love and then somehow hate our neighbor. We don't talk about God's love and yet not forgive my spouse. It makes no sense, does it? But many Christians live in that reality all the time. It's a love that transforms us in such a way where I don't want to be served. I take more joy in serving. I don't want to be on top. I want to lift others to be on top. Because that's what the kingdom of God looks like. It's when we try to usurp God's lordship and we try to tell God what to do. This is when we get into trouble. I mean, most marriages, the spouses are praying, Lord, change my wife. Oh, Lord, change my husband. And God says, "No, I want to change you. Don't worry about him. Don't worry about her. I want to change you. How, Lord, die to yourself, please? Would you please die to yourself? I want you guys to understand. So, so remember, I talked about the Lord's prayer: His kingdom come. But notice how He starts off: Our Father, our Father who art in heaven, our Father." So right away, we, we understand we've been brought back into this relationship. And it's one of deep intimacy and love, founded in grace and mercy and compassion. The picture we have is the son of the prodigal running to his son, embracing him and kissing him and crying on him. My son who was dead is now alive again. So that's the picture Jesus gives us of God the Father. But now I want you to see something about that prayer. It is talking of relationship, but also is talking about apprenticeship. Remember what Jesus says in that custom, in that culture. If your dad was a carpenter, guess what you're going to be? A carpenter. If your dad was a fisherman, ask James and John, what are they going to be? They're going to be fishermen. They're going to go to work with dad when they get old enough. They're going to start learning their trade as they go in life. So now put that in relationship to Jesus and his father. Remember what he says. I only do what I see my father do. I only say what I hear my father say. Remember that? What's he talking about there? Apprenticeship. So when I come under the the kingdom of God, when I bring my life back into this living relationship where I eat of Jesus and I drink of Jesus and I cast all my cares on Jesus, all of a sudden I begin to look to my father and I begin to say, Lord, how do you want me to live my life? How do you want me to, what kind of husband do you want me to be? What kind of father do you want me to be? What kind of friend do you want me to be? What kind of employee or boss do you want me to be? And if it's not reflecting the values of the kingdom, I think you're a miss. I think you're off. And if you just think because I don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, don't go out with girls that do, I don't dance, I don't go to radar movies, I don't listen to non-Christian or yet non-Christian music, that makes me a believer. No. It makes you boring. Right? If that's what you think your faith is, I don't know, I don't even know what to tell you. Don't do those things, great. More power to you. But what do you do? Do you worry? Are you anxious? Are you stressed out? Are you living your life in constant fear? Is that Jesus? Is it? Living your life in constant fear. And believe me, when my son was toxic, when he went septic, and he's in the ICU room, Crying out for me to help him, and I can't even touch him. I know fear. To love somebody with all your heart, and you're a breath away from losing them. I get it, but I don't live that fear in fear with my relationship with my son. I want him to live his life. Do you think God doesn't want us to live our lives? Think about it. Does your seriously? If someone would say, "Describe this person to me," how would they describe you? Would it be joy and peace? Would it be forgiveness and love? Would it be that person seeks the best for me? That person, or would they say, that person stresses me out. That person is a Debbie Downer, right? That person always sees everything negative. That person, it's like, oh, man. I wanna get around people that know my Jesus and he's in their lives and he's setting people free. Setting people Free. Again, we repent. We bring our lives under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, I'm in the kingdom, man. I'm advancing his kingdom. I'm advancing it through my life. I'm advancing it. I'm living in the freedom that he gives through the power of his Holy Spirit. But I'm looking to the Father saying, Lord, who do you want me to be? Who have you made me to be? As C.S. Lewis would say, give me my face. Give me my face. Not the one that I project you know, not the one that I think I want everybody to be, whatever it thinks I should be, but the one that you've given me, Lord. The one that I tell people all the time. I wore a facade for years as a missionary, as a pastor, and my mask got so heavy, it finally dropped and it broke, and I never put it back together. What you see is what you get. If you're disappointed, I'm cool with that. I'm totally cool with that. But I'm not wearing a mask anymore. I'm not going to act. I'm not going to act. If you look in the original language, that means hypocrisy. I'm going to be, I'm going to be in his kingdom. I'm going to answer, I'm going to repent. I'm going to repent. What does that mean to repent? It does, re- again, the prostitute is no longer going to be a prostitute, right? The drunk is no longer going to be a drunk. The drug addict is no longer going to be a drug addict. That's repentance, but also it means this. I'm no longer going to think the way I want to think. I'm going to think the way the Lord wants me to think, I'm going to see the way the Lord wants me to see. I'm going to hear the way the Lord wants me to hear. I'm going to believe the way the Lord wants me to believe. That, my brothers and sisters, that is a transformed people that are living in the light of the kingdom of God. You've met them. They're the ones that make you feel accepted. The ones that make you, remind you that you're forgiven. The one that tells you that's not who you are anymore. The one that tells you, hey, you're going in the wrong direction, go this way. Those are the people. So this idea of the kingdom, all of a sudden, it begins to form me, as Paul would say in Galatians 4.19, that Christ would be formed in us. Formed. All of a sudden, as I begin to pray for his kingdom in my life and in every area of my life, all of a sudden, I am formed and I start to bear the image of Jesus Christ. That's what it looks like, you guys. Not a religious teacher. Jesus. Jesus. Remember him? The one that you ran to, the one who accepted you, the one who loved you, and you based your life on him. Isn't that relieving? Isn't it? Not on a political party, red or blue, not on an ethnic flag. You know what's so cool and hungry? That's probably the one thing I'm most proud of in the church that I got to serve. For a year, I taught about gypsies perhaps coming to our church. Okay? Because Hungarians and gypsies, uh-uh. Gypsies have their culture. Hungarians have theirs. And you don't meet. And if you do meet, it's going to be violence. So I kept praying, and I kept telling them, what if a gypsy came to church? Would you accept him? And you see people get stiff. Like ugh, God would never make us do that oh yes he will and I'll be honest with you I never thought the day would come I never did until my wife came my wife always goes after the marginalized within I say three months of her being in Esther in my town we had one gypsy girl coming to church Anna she came everybody was cool with Anna she was one girl no problem we can accept her but the next week Anna brought the whole stinking tribe Six families come walking into our church. And I'm, I'm, I see them walk in, they're late, which is normal. And, and I'm getting ready to teach and they walked in and I went, oh no, it's happening. What are they gonna do? And my head elder got up and he's a, he's a Hungarian Hungarian. He walks up and he embraces dad. And he says, come sit with us. And the whole church followed suit. So for a season in our church, they went and started their own church. But for about a year or two, they stayed with us and we worshiped together. Because that, my brothers and sisters, is what the kingdom of God looks like. It tears down borders, doesn't build them. And that's no reference. I'm talking about what Paul says in Galatians 2. He tears down the wall between us. And here's the sad part. My marriage, my wife and I had a wall between us for a long time. We did. I don't know how it got there. It just got there. After 15 years of marriage, it was tall and thick. And I went to Rod and said, "I got to step out of the ministry. My marriage is in shambles." I didn't know it, but I know it now. And Rod and the board of this church said, "Take a sabbatical. Get some counseling." And I said, "Really? I was gonna. I was gonna make it easy on you guys. I was just gonna quit and go away." Like, no, no, you're not going anywhere. Six weeks later, our marriage is great. (laughs) Only took six weeks, but it took me about fourteen years to destroy it. But it only took God about six weeks to rebuild it when I started doing it His way. When she started doing it His way. And I'll be honest, I'm shocked. We've been married now twenty-one years, and I'll look at her sometimes. I'm like, Do you, Can you believe we're married? This is insane. We're married, you know? She's like, I'm already been saying that for twenty years now. We're married. Get over it accept it. And I go, we have kids. Aren't you freaking out about that? I'm freaking out. She's like, yeah, whatever. You're crazy. You know, she's given up. But here's the other thing I want to see in closing. So we come under this kingdom, we repent, and we believe in Jesus. I want, you to, I want you to think about something really quick. What do you believe in? Think about this just for a second. And what I mean is, what do you put your trust in? Because Jesus, the invitation of the kingdom is, if you're tired, come to me, I'll give you rest. If you're thirsty, come to me and drink. If you're hungry, come to me and eat. I believe that he is my source of life. See what I'm saying? So that's what the belief looks like. But what do we go to when we say we believe? What do we go to? Is it nourishing your soul or is it poisoning your soul? Is it strengthening your relationship to Christ or is it weakening your relationship to Christ? Because a strong relationship to Christ is always going to have you gravitating towards your spouse, your children, towards glorifying God in every area of your life. And to not eat of Christ means you're going to be weakened in every single one of these relationships, and it's going to show. It's going to be obvious. If you're finding your identity in your job, you're not finding your identity in Christ, that means. If you're finding your pleasure in something else, that means your relationships are pretty much falling apart. I, I could say that with some confidence because I saw it in my own life. So when I say I believe, I'm going to Jesus for everything. He is what I feast on. He is where I find my strength. He is where I find my face. He is where I find my peace. He is where I find love to love my enemy. He's where I find the power to forgive because he's forgiven me. I don't look to the person who hurt me. I can't. I remember one time I was, <laughs> I'll be personal. I was crying in my shower at home. I was crying. I got totally destroyed by a person, and I was angry. And I'm crying. I'm like, Lord, I just I'm so mad and so frustrated. And gosh, Lord, I don't know what to do. I mean, I can't go to the doctor because he can't, you know, put a cast on my heart. And I can't go to the psychiatrist and give me a pill to make it better, or I would take it. And the Lord spoke to me in that moment, and he says, only I can heal your heart. They broke it, but only I can heal it. Give it to me. And it wasn't like that. It was a process of me obeying. What did that look like? Forgive, Armando, forgive, Armando. Forgive, 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 forgive. You forgave yesterday, forgive today now. Every thought of that person, you forgive them. You love them, because I love you. All right, and you know what? Healing comes. But if I went to the bottle again, it ain't coming, man. It's just going to get worse. It's going to get infected and it's going to get diseased. But if I look to Jesus, He starts to stitch it back together, my brokenness. And then He heals that bridge to that brother or sister in Christ. And the sad part to me is most, a lot of Christians don't like hearing that. They'd rather live their life in anger and unforgiveness. I don't understand that. I just don't. Why bother? Why bother? You think Jesus just came to die and rise again to give you fire insurance? He came to give us life, and this is what it looks like Jesus. In every area. Not the ones you feel comfortable in, the ones you feel most uncomfortable in. Where maybe you're the problem? I love it. I, I say this prayer, Lord, search my heart and know me and see if there be any wicked way in me. You know what I hate? is when he says there's a wicked way in you. I'm like, me? Not them, me? Yeah, you. Whoa, what do you want me to do, Lord? You know what I want you to do, go do it. Okay, give me the strength then, Lord. Your kingdom come into this relationship. But notice what, he said, what happens next. Passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brothers of Simon, casting nets into the sea for they were fishermen and Jesus said to them, follow me and I'll make you fishers and men. Follow me and I will make you. Their job was to follow, their job was to obey. And before you get legalistic, before you get burdened, before you start trying to live the way you were taught to live and this to be just a moral person, you're called to be a spiritual person. And that spiritual person looks like this. He looks like Jesus. And remember what John said of Jesus in John 1, 17. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Grace upon grace. So what does it look like? I'm gonna be a gracious person. Grace upon grace. And that grace changes me to be a holy person. Whole and holy. Holy. Are you in God's kingdom this morning? Are you walking under the, under the rule of Christ? Can, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He teaches me to walk in the path of righteousness. Yea, though I walk to the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Does that describe your life? It should. Notice, you're still gonna go through trials. Yea, though I walk to the valley of the shadow. I feel like I've walked through that valley too many times and it scares the crud out of me. It does. I've been through it a few times. It scares the crud out of me. In my marriage, I've walked through that valley. With my son, I've walked through that valley. And I'm like, Lord, I don't want to walk through that valley no more. He's like, but I'm with you. I'm like, yeah, I know, but it scares me. (laughs) I knew you. I knew you was with me. Because at the end of that valley, every time I sit, he anoints me. My cup runneth over. Hope is returned. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life in my desire to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Are you living In the kingdom of God, as the people of God. Is that where you're living this morning? Because if you're not, come back in. There's room. Come back in. The door never closed. Come back in. He's waiting to receive you, restore you, and love on you. But will you come back in? Will you come back in? Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for your word, for your promises. We thank you, Lord, that you um, invite us, Lord, to base our lives on you. The thing we lost, you restore, and then you give us twofold. Be glorified in us and through us, Lord Jesus. Help us to see you as you truly are and to live in the reality of your presence. Every day, every breath, every thought, every action. May it be a reflection of your grace upon grace. For Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Everybody said...